We're back. We're back. This is a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. Hi, Roth. How you doing? I'm good, dude. What's up? Uh, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm just fine. Oh, I was, terrific. The sky is like slightly hazy here. I've not gotten the blood sun that New York has from the Western oh, yeah. wildfires. We had and, that real uh, Mumbai grade air quality here yesterday. Everything was kind of a, a faint topish color. It was really nice. I yeah, enjoyed it. I was like, I, I was in Slack with you guys, and, and you guys were like, oh my God, the apocalypse is nigh and all that. And I was like, well, it's just fine here in D.C. <laughs> And then I went outside and I was like, actually, no, wait, because the sky looked was all like wan, like it was all, like like someone had washed out the sky, and I was yeah. like, okay, well, all right, maybe the apocalypse is nigh. A little it was bit. very like Dennis Villeneuve like cinematography thing, Cause, like you kind of couldn't see very far away. I, like I enjoyed Blade Runner twenty forty nine well enough. Uh, yes, I did not in any way want to like cosplay as one of the sad people walking home from work in it and i did get to do that yesterday uh see i i have like a like apocalyptic fomo sometimes where if i see like a volcano exploding i'm like oh that's bitching that's too bad i'm not on the ground there to have the lava <laughs> yeah the, and roll over me that's like the chris thompson lifestyle where like anytime you hear about something cool you're just like i wonder if that could be directed in a concentrated blast at my thorax vaporizing me instantly i actually don't want that part i don't want I want to be in like a helicopter above it or something like that. I want to witness it. I don't want to be affected by it. Do you want to like have a head like a headset on and you get one line in the disaster movie like we have eyes on the volcano like something like that would that yeah, be good yeah. for you? That's something like that. I mean, it's a very American thing. Like it's an, basically a metaphor for the entire American experience where I like seeing yep. like all this crazy shit, but I don't want to be affected <laughs> by it. I just want it. I just want to be able to see it from afar, that's, preferably while standing in an infinity pool while drinking that's a mind top. Generations fought and and in many cases had to die to protect us. It's the right to be over a volcano in a helicopter and then land that helicopter at an outback steakhouse and get like a steak for like thirteen dollars and refusing a vaccine while doing it. That's you know what we don't need to. We're not going to talk about that. Let's be positive. <laughs> Let's talk to our guest. It's Jason Gay of the Wall Street oh, Journal. I love Hi, him. Jason. That's terrific. Hi. Hi. How is everybody? Pretty good. How's the energy level for you on this podcast? Are you feeling a little worried about uh, <laughs> talking to two extremely unbalanced people about the weather? I'm deeply, I'm, I'm really intimidated. Honestly, like you guys are so sharp and witty and quick that I feel like I'm like walking in like mid period to a Stanley Cup playoff game. Like I am completely uh, outmatched here. So That's I'll only, keep it slow and low. The only way that could be true is if you were comparing our intellect to hockey guys who just add a Y to the end of their buddy's last name and leave it at that. That's no, no, you're doing the whole, now you're doing the whole Roth being humble thing, but we're well, smarter I mean, than hockey players. It's that's just, a good point, McGarry. I'll beat the piss out of a hockey player in chess. That is oh. a true fucking story. No Drew, doubt about it. Drew, do you remember the last time I saw you? Was Say it? No. Was, were we playing chess? No, we were not playing chess. Oh wait, uh, it was it was American Ninja Warrior. That's right. That's it was right. American Ninja Warrior. Oh, did you both do the course? I didn't. Drew did though, yeah. and I watched it. I watched the whole thing go down. It was kind of amazing. I was there doing the, the 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 um, you know, uh, elementary school version for the Wall Street Journal. But Drew was an active participant. You know, That's rumbling it. around the course. It was incredible. You had like a camera crew in the whole thing, right? Yeah. So they they shot me. Doing the course, I trained for it with, uh, I believe his name was Jeff Burton, like a, like one of the legends of the of the course. Jeff Britton. Jeff yeah. Britton. Jeff Britton. Yep. 
and uh, forearms and like he, fucking prosciuttos. He's a he legend. Took, he took me to like Earth Treks in Rockville and had me scale a thirty foot wall, and I got scared like ten feet up. Like I got afraid of heights and came back down. <laughs> it's like so, oh well, you should have no problem finishing the course. Then. Yeah, so I get to the course and uh, and I made it. You know how you start off with like like there's like six steps and you have to. You know, yeah. across the water. I I'm made trying it two not to steps. get too expert on this. I've watched every episode of the show. I'm a huge fan of it. So yes, you went through the floating steps. How did that go? <laughs> I, it went very badly. I went two steps <laughs> and I plunged into the water, but I still had the right to do all the obstacles, but I was soaking wet. And I don't know, you know, when you're sopping wet in full clothing, that's like funny in like a movie where like, you know, an <laughs> 80s movie where like they push each other in the pool and like, ha! That was very right. spontaneous. Or like, or when you're a teenager and you're just drunk as shit. When you're 40 and you're and you're soaking <laughs> wet, wet for your any clothes, reason, you're right. so so fucking miserable. It's just the you're worst chafing. thing. Yeah. yeah. And then you I had to the do gremlin like, stage of your life. Yeah, you just I'd, cannot be dampened for any reason without bad consequences mm-hmm. immediately. And I had to do the rest of the course. And like the whole thing is like you know like really elaborate forms of torturous pull-ups. <laughs> And yeah. I couldn't do any of it. And I got to the warp wall with like my shoes still dripping. And I'm like, well, I'm going to kill myself if I try to scale this wall while I'm wet. But I still did it anyway and like slapped a wet hand like five feet up on the wall. Like, nice. Like a fucking finger paint. And it was just. And, but you know what? The piece ended up being good. I just wish I had been able to get past the fucking steps is all. That's all. I, so, I, I just don't think anybody d- would. You shouldn't feel I mean, bad about it. I just was down there. I had, you know, pitched this story as the, you know, the American Ninja Warrior was the next great American sport. It was going to be the fifth sport. And like these athletes were going to be, you know, household names. And I, I think it was down at the old Turner field where the Braves uh, no longer play. They were doing it in like the parking lot or something. And I get there and I go through security. And the first athlete I see is, is Drew. <laughs> what, a, what incredible fucking left The majesty of sport. <laughs> the other thing is that they tape at night uh, because it just looks better at night. And so yeah. they tape all night. And yeah. it goes all the way through the night. And people who are family members, there's like bullpens for them and for the participants and stuff. And so there will be people in their families waiting, oh, standing yeah. on, a, on a concrete in a park, parking lot for like six hours until like yeah. through the dead of night to do this course. Just to watch their loved ones get utterly yeah. humiliated. In many cases, be out there for 20 seconds and then like get yeah. up out of a pool of water no. waiting. Like, I didn't even have fun. That sucked. I mean, <laughs> it blew my, my mind. I mean, I'm sure you saw this stuff, but just like the people who are like building these courses in their backyards, the whole sort of industry that's like built up around the idea of like creating Ninja Warriors. Like, it's yeah. like, you know, the next sort of wave of like CrossFit is like, you know, obstacle champ. And then... The other part that just sort of blew my mind about it was just that, you know, these folks, you know, as you said, their families are there watching them and they're going on at like 3.23 in the morning to like compete in this thing. And as you said, they just, you know, they go out into the course and they're done in five seconds and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Back on the plane. Can I get briefly, um, I'm going to ruin the party by, again, flexing my expert level American Ninja Warrior fandom this year, they started letting teenagers compete. They'd been, like, so what Jason was talking about, like, which has been a thing for a long time, like, sometimes it's, like, rich weirdos. Sometimes it's just people that, like, have a lot of property and weird ideas. 
they've been building those courses. The kids that trained on those are now eligible to compete. Like 15 year olds can run this year. They're so good. And they're fucking killing it. Yes. Like they're, cause they weigh like 110 pounds. Right. So all of the stuff where like, if you ask me to suspend myself from a bar for any reason, let alone the bar is like rocketing along some sort of slide. And when it gets to the end of it, I'm supposed to jump and catch another. If you were just like, Dave, hang on to this thing for 30 seconds. And when you're done, you'll get a hundred thousand dollars. Like that's a fucking coin flip. But it's now, because, like, my body is, like, you know, whatever, I'm old. Like, all my weights and, like, my ankles and, like, right under my chin. But, like, these little kids are just, like, flipping through the thing like flying squirrels. It's incredible to watch, but it's also kind of, uh, like, it kind of throws the energy of the whole thing off because I'm used to seeing people struggle and not, like, right. some high school sophomore who plays trombone <laughs> right. in a band just, like, right. floating through the shit. No, but they haven't acquired the, the upper body weight. And I think at the time that I was down there, like, the belief was that like boulderers, like climbers had cracked yeah. it. Like they had the sort of optimal like uh, body for it. And then they could fly around the course because they didn't have the weight, lower body weight, and they could just lift themselves. But do, is it like another sport where like they, have they tweaked it in ways to like get other types of athletes to be competitive in it? I, I have an answer for that, Jason, because I okay. talked to the man who invents the yeah. obstacles yeah. and comes up with them and they make a point of varying them so that one specific type of athlete is not favored. So if you're like a gymnast right. or some shit like that, you you think, oh, that person's great. But then all of a sudden, like the six obstacle, they have to like do some world's strongest man shit and like, you know, throw a plane over like an upright or some shit like yeah. that. Jason's definitely right, though, that they have like nudged it such that it's like different types of athletes have succeeded at different times. And then if they start thinking it's too easy for gymnasts or rock climbers like, the only thing they haven't solved for is pole vaulters because they're just basically, uh, like, robocops. Like, it's just, like, there's too much physical capacity to make it so that, uh, like, a pole vaulter can't do a physical task. Yeah. But, yeah, all the rest of it, they keep, like, nudging it just out of reach. There's a nice little mean streak in the show. Like, I, it's very, very goofy to watch. Like, it's, like, if you made an entire program out of the segments on the Olympics where they're like, this person isn't just a, like, you know, Olympic wrestler. Like, they also uh, live on a dairy farm or whatever. And then, they, you know, Bob Costas walks you through it. Like, half the show is that, and I still love yeah. it dearly. Yeah. No, there's a lot of backstory to it. It's obviously pre-taped. But, I, you know, it's shockingly athletic and compelling. And I just was, like, struck by, like, how many people I talked to who couldn't name, like, a hockey player or you know a baseball player who are very much up to speed with uh, ninja warrior culture yeah hey uh speaking of shockingly athletic compelling people how about that Giannis Antetokounmpo huh <laughs> yeah. huh world champion Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks who if you go back uh through this podcast and the way we talked about the Bucks like we should not ever allow be allowed to have a podcast again <laughs> <laughs> Right. No, I think a lot of people had podcasts like that. Sure. Because we were like, I was like, oh, they're a boring team. And oh, well, Giannis can't do everything. He did everything yeah. last night. He yeah. was, I was just astonished by, I mean, the, the number free throws. Yeah, yes. the, the free throws and, and that part of it almost felt like a prank. Yeah. Like the idea of being like, oh, yeah, there was one thing like I a couldn't hustle. do. Yeah, right. Like he had, been, he had yeah. been holding it out the whole time, and it yeah. was a great last hustle move. Yeah, you amazing. Son of a bitch. 17 <laughs> for 19. I mean, just amazing. And 13 in a row also, in the second half. I was also, I was floored by his, by his, by his defense more than his offense. Like, hmm. Phoenix could not run their offense. Like, they, like, there were times where Chris Paul 
could dribble, you know, a cut across and then do his pull up mid range and make that. And that was pretty, and that was, you know, that was pretty effective. But like Devin Booker wasn't effective. DeAndre Ayton wasn't effective. And they all because even like basically open looks at the rim, they couldn't finish. Yeah, yeah, they couldn't do that because, oh my God, holy shit, something just said. I just got a really weird sound thing. I'm oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> got real, it got real loud real fast. Sorry about that. Anyway, uh, the, the point is that I found myself as compelled as I was watching LeBron beat the Warriors where they were just moments where it seemed like there was no part of the court that Giannis could not reach. Like as if his arms were 20 feet long all the fucking time. I, did you get that sensation, yeah. Jason? Oh, for sure. I mean, the game that it reminded me of the most of was that game one, the Jarrah Smith-LeBron game where LeBron was kind of everywhere and was mm-hmm. omnipresent and amazing. But they lost that game, the, the Cavs. Um, and you just got this feeling that this guy had like gone up levels within the playoffs which was extraordinary you know he was somebody who everyone admired for having this you know terrific relentlessness but you know had clear vulnerabilities in terms of you know three-point shooting free throws were becoming a huge headache the mocking of the counting of the you know free throw clock and so on but it just was remarkable and i feel like in sports it's funny in tennis has this problem men's tennis but there's like this hyperbole overload of declaring things the greatest of all time. And everybody's yeah. like just tripping over themselves to declare every match as being, this is the greatest match has ever been seen. Or, you know, Federer is the all-time goat. Or now Nadal is, and now Djokovic is. And it sort of like starts to feel like, you know, the kid who cried, you know, greatest ever. And like, I think basketball sort of has that culture now too, where the hyperbole overload and declaring things the greatest ever is a lot. But I kind of felt like we were watching one of the greatest yeah. ever's last night. I mean, it really did feel a singular performance. I mean, historically, it is 50 points in a clinch game is incredible, no matter which way you slice it. But yeah, you've got to put him in that category now. Yeah, I think that's like we had that conversation last night because we were concerned about the same thing. Like just that, like not just like hype inflation and stuff like that. But, you know, at some point you have to write about it. And th- I mean, if you're us and it's hard to do that in a non-cliched way if, like, that's constantly the level of, like, the just the tenor of what you're trying to write. And yet, like, there isn't another way to talk about the last, at least the last three games for Giannis that doesn't involve, like, that kind of, like, hacky, yeah. over-the-top shit. Because it's like, if you saw it, there's not, you wouldn't be, fa- like, fair to describe it as anything less than that. Like, he really was omnipresent. He really was doing, like, one or two plays per game that, like, I really feel like I'll probably remember for as long as I remember basketball plays. Like, he had, like, chase down blocks in the half court yesterday. Like, he was just doing stuff, like, even if he's out of position. Like, in the um, the game four uh, block at the rim on the alley-oop attempt was, right. like, similar. I think that was game four. It might have been game three. Was the same deal where it was, like, he defended both sides of an alley-oop, which, like, <laughs> I've seen sometimes, like, Draymond will try to do it, but right. Draymond is not... Seven right. feet tall. Right. No. It's like, I'm still going over in my head how that is possible to do. Yeah. Like well, how you hedge and then block the same shot. Well, that's that kind of got lost over your head. What's great uh, are those moments where you are reduced to nothing but cliches, right? Yeah. Where you can't say anything else interesting. Like, like I'll take it back to tennis, Jason, because I think that uh, in tennis, I think everyone who covers tennis is still trying to chase... Uh, the David Foster Wallace uh, profile of Federer, <laughs> right, and are right. still like they're so they're so taken by that profile yeah. 
Yeah. But they're they're kind of always trying to recreate, like, oh my God, he's not just good, he's existentially good. <laughs> right. And we I have agree. crossed over into some sort of new dimensionality. And yeah. basketballers do that shit too. But then last night, you know, there was no, uh, you know, th- there was there was no sort of fancy language required. It was just, holy shit, I can't believe I'm watching this. Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. And he can clean up every fucking mess that the Bucks yeah. had. Like, like if, a yeah. factual description of the things that he's doing suffices. Like, it's yep. hyperbolic enough if you're just, like, laying it out technically what happens on a given play. Yeah, if another Buck misses a shot, who gives a shit? There he is. He can do it. Like, it's not... Yeah. You know, uh, and, and it was not the case, you know, as it had been in a couple of these games where, like, you know, Middleton was playing at a 1A level in mm-hmm. the yes. late quarter. You know, that, that he was the guy who was really kind of the go-to in the closing moments of the game. I mean, Giannis really did it all uh, last night. Uh, I have a question, though, about the hyperbole thing. I also wonder, the Wallace thing is funny. I wonder if it's also sort of just a function of, like, the Internet, you know, clickbait structure, the idea that like, if you're going to get things to track with people, you got to kind of declare them the, the something most of all time. It, it's no longer yeah. sufficient to say that. What a scintillating performance, you know, like things that, you know, that are, are, which are incredibly complimentary are now mundane and everything has to be contextualized in the history of whatever genre it is. That's yeah, 100% true. Yeah. Yep. You I'm, can see in, I think Giddy's written really wonderful stuff about Djokovic uh, over the last few months. But it's the same sort of deal where, like, what is there to say, you know, at this point? Like, it's the inevitability of him and, like, the, the force, like, that kind of, like, like, the way that Tiger was at his peak in mm-hmm. golf is just, like, that, like, feeling that, like, this moment is going to come when this is going to stop being interesting and start right. being about, like, just, it's like a squash video. It's like, right. one of those, like or, like, a, whatever, like, those skateboard anti-highlight things where right. a guy just, like, smashes his nuts on a banister for 45 <laughs> minutes. Like, this is basically, like, where it's headed. And that's a, you know, it's a different sort of challenge. But yeah, like to be like positive about it. I mean, part of what was good about the Wallace Federer thing was that he could technically get really granular in describing why things were super hard. Yeah. And with, and that's not something that everybody could do. But even if you could, like with Djokovic, it's just like you can't hit the ball past him because he's too fast and too long. Yeah. And like, and then what are you writing about? Like, you're left with like comic book. Language. Well, I think what we're all saying is that we all kind of like clinch when people start talking that way. We sort of run yeah. resist it, hate it, and be like, "Come on, there's got to have been like five or six or twenty or fifty performances which were superior to this, and we're all just recency biasing this, and it's crazy." I felt the same way actually about the notion of the bucks winning the title like the idea like oh this is great for basketball that the bucks have won. you know and i sort of cringe at that too because i'm like listen you know i'm i'm a big believer in free agency and you know going wherever you want as a player and if you want to build a super team that's your free will and great that's fantastic why shouldn't you have the kinds of liberties that any other kind of employee has but <laughs> it was also kind of cool for those yeah. reasons i mean it's yeah. y- it's it's absolutely true that the fact that you had these homegrown stars and, and Giannis and, and Chris and the fact that he had stayed instead of turning this into some sort of like 18-month torture fest about his free agency <laughs> right. was really, really meaningful. And it, like the crowd was bitching too, like inside oh, yeah, and outside cool. the arena. It's fucking cool to see a watch party go out of their goddamn minds. What is that your... like one-tenth of the population of the city of Milwaukee, right? Like, <laughs> no, that was, like... was the population. Yeah, yeah which is just it unreal. Was. It was like basically anybody that was like, it was people that were asleep were not there and people that were awake were all there. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean... I wanted to ask you about the watch party thing, because I feel like that we've kind of hit our 
ceiling on like having to show the outdoor watch party scenes in almost every event now that feels like a compulsory thing but like what is your threshold could you do a watch party at this point in your lives or are you just too too like old and dadded out you mean attend it yeah no i mean like would you (laughs) ever find yourself or does that look like Times square on december 31st to you now uh, I'm glad you asked, Jason, because I have been to a watch oh, good. party. I watched uh, the Washington Capitals win the Stanley Cup. As a stunt or for personal will there? No, I did that for my personal. I ended up writing about it, but I did it because I wanted to. Okay. I wanted to go downtown and be part of the energy and be part of the scene. Yeah. And it was fucking great. It was awesome. <laughs> like, because the thing about like Times Square is different because you're walled off. You can't piss anywhere. You can't get away. Like once you're in, it's a roach motel. Once you're in, you can't leave. Yeah. But with a watch party, like, and you saw it last night, like, like they would, they did a, a scan of the Deer District and the crowd thinned out at the back. So if you wanted to, like, walk away and go get a burrito and have some peace and quiet for three seconds, you could do that. And then when you like, the energy was there for you to take and leave at your discretion, which I liked. If you wanted to walk down to the lake, catch a muskie, Cook it up. Yeah. You know, go back. You could do Get all a cheese that. Curd. But it's, you know, <laughs> but it's one. the same thing where if you don't have tickets to the game, if you can't be to the game at the game itself, it is fun to be with a crowd. It's fun to, you know, sports are more fun with other people around, particularly, particularly after what we just endured in 2020. Like just to see people. Sure. And I know that the pandemic's not over. And I know Delta variant and I know all that stuff. But to see the people together. Even now, even after sports have been back for a little bit, is still it's still really really cool. Yeah. And I mean, that's the answer to Jason's question for me too. Is like, I, or, under ordinary circumstances, no, I wouldn't want to. Like the way I watch sports now is to like be at home, uh, like taking little furtive s- sips of like cheap scotch and being like, wow, under my breath, so I don't wake my wife up. Like that's I've evolved in that way. But like this was the first time that I like. Or at least like this year is the first time that I've like entertained the thought as something that I could conceivably want to do just because like I miss like people. I David, miss like yelling with people. Could 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 the Mets have a watch party or is no. that just not? <laughs> that was gonna also say that like it's also totally moot because the only team I would inconvenience myself for is like when I'm gonna like get together with a bunch of like people in the parking lot of city field and like listen on the radio as they commit four errors in an inning against the reds. Like I'm fine. It's good. Right. I, got an, I got an argument with Rohan last night on Twitter about this. Cause he was like, I don't really see the appeal of a watch party. And I was like, well, yeah, but you just go cause you're, you go cause you're, you're drunk and it's fun when you're drunk. He's like, he's like, actually that sounds kind of horrible. To yep. me. And I was like, you fucking prude. Just fucking go party. Well, he also has only lived in like, cool cities where there's always some other thing to do you know it's like this is true miami and los angeles and i guess he did live in new york for a while it's like all of those but new york doesn't necessarily count anymore but in any of those places it's like if it's not like the best thing to do in milwaukee was to like stand near a jersey barrier with a bunch of strangers (laughs) and watch a big screen of a basketball game but like it's not the same thing as like you know whatever in miami there's all kinds of other you know different sort of pursuits you could watch that game uh, like in a horrible nightclub full of designer drug dealers and Bitcoin weirdos. <laughs> Wouldn't that be more fun? I want to uh, go back for a second, Jason, because we were talking about sort of, uh, um, you know, recency bias and stuff like that. So there are two things. One is that I am on the, I'm often on the other side uh, where I don't want ham-handed takes from people. Like I don't like, well, this could be good or could be bad. Like I, I take a shit on the New York Times for that like every day. 
I want something definitive. And of course, my craving for something definitive is what results in people throwing down takes like, oh, okay, well, you're never going to see anything that good again. It's the greatest performance of all time. And we'll never say anything like it. And you may as well die now and not watch any more sports because it's just not. (laughs) And then the other thing is that I have been conditioned through, and this is my, this is my doing, uh, that my instinct now when I'm online, my first reaction is usually to argue because people are cocks, right? And people say really (laughs) just ludicrous shit. And so even when people say something reasonable, my brain mm. interprets it as unreasonable. So if people are like, you know what? The sun's kind of choked. Like my first reflex is to be like, they didn't choke. They just lost to a better team. Blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, first of all, how dare you, yeah. stranger? And I'll, right. I'll, I'll, like, I'll have to restrain myself from that reaction. It's like I have to like, I don't know. It, it, you know I have to like, like lash myself with a cat of nine tails yeah. to make sure I'm not like yeah. arguing I, for the sake of arguing. I hear that. And I think it's part of the sort of the binary nature of all this stuff now that like yes. every sort of reaction has to like, you know, ins- uh, trigger an opposite reaction. And uh, depending upon the, um, the depth of the audience of the opposite reaction, you might find yourself in some sort of like windmill of criticism. And I was thinking of it last night with like, you know, I was like, Oh, you know, like it, it's not, it's kind of conspicuous that the the two most interesting, like, NBA celebrations of the last couple of years in terms of just being like surprising, enjoyably surprising results were Milwaukee and Toronto, you know, two teams that probably will not be in the history of the way you described the first quarter century of the NBA, maybe, maybe with Milwaukee, but like they're, you know, they're the blips in like a series of like, you know, great warriors and LeBron runs and stuff like that. But it was undeniable. Like those scenes last night and the scenes in Toronto too, like what a spectacle it was. Yeah, I think it's the surprise of of being there that like adds that that sort of boost to it. Not just for people watching at home, although there's there's obviously some element of that. But like as someone who's been a fan of of teams that were like really bad for a long time and then briefly super competitive, like none of them have have won anything that way. Yeah. But like you know, growing up as a New Jersey Nets fan and then them making the finals two years with Jason Kidd or like the Mets making the World Series in 2015, that any of that stuff like it feels dreamlike in a way that I don't imagine it does for like the Lakers and their fans to yeah, like see their sure. team in the finals at this point. Right. I remember talking to some friends that are uh, Warriors fans, the round ball rock podcast guys. And they were saying that the teams that they remember as like most fondly are not like necessarily the championship teams, which to me are like some of the most brilliant and beautiful basketball teams that I've ever seen while we're right. doing hyperbole. But the for them, we it was like, teams and yeah, TNC that's exactly what it was. Yeah. They were TFC. like the fucking Baron yeah. Davis dunk was like yeah. the peak of my sports watching life and all the championships that followed could never touch it. I think that's partly because the Warriors were so good that they kind of leapt this rail and became like an America's team kind of thing. They became yeah. a broad and cultural so quickly phenomenon. too. Yeah. And, and, and they belonged to almost everybody because they were so fun to watch and undeniable. But I don't think they had much of an underdog vibe at all for any of that period. That's yeah. like, uh, you know, I was into the Warriors you know, before you even bought their first album, like that's, the <laughs> yep. but you know, it's not, it's not unlike movies and music where the things that you experienced in your formative years are the ones that are indelible and therefore elevated for the rest of your, your life. Mm-hmm. So like Jordan is very important to people because they grew up with Jordan. And so the idea yeah. that, Oh, LeBron is better or Giannis is better. We can have that argument for fun. Is like sacrilege. It's like you're insulting my childhood when you do that. 
my yeah. childhood is more important than your childhood. And that's where people get all fucking pissy about. Because it's there's just there's a uh, emotional connection. Uh, it evokes something within you, within your youth, that you can't have again. That people just can't let go of. I know I I, I can't. Like I yeah. you know I think of you know I listen to music from my youth more often than I listen to current music, and there's a very good reason why you know i think this is like part of at the risk of being like too sappy about it i think this is like what is like the best advertisement for being a sports fan if i had to like give a powerpoint presentation to a skeptical person about why this was a good use of your time like i know that it's not you know what i mean but it is like a nice little space in which you can just be like make a commitment to be irrational about stuff and just sort of get okay with that and be like i'm gonna make a bunch of like really like stupid emotional investments. I'm going to get like too serious about some stuff that isn't serious, whatever. And like, and I'm going to know that and I'm going to let myself feel it anyway. Yeah, like, and yeah. It works that way. And I also just, you know, an underrated aspect of it is the idea of just being able to feel good about the winner, you know, because whether yep. they're a first timer or they're a city that had waited as long as Milwaukee had, I mean, I think that's a part of this too. Yep. Uh, let's take a break and come back and play some fun and games. We'll be right back. We're back. We're gonna play some fun and games. All right, we in it. I have now learned that we need to do the guy of the week before we do dead or cancel to prevent audience confusion. So, Jason Gay, would you like to remember a guy? <laughs> a guy? Yes. Uh, yeah. Just, just not say, as hard as it sounds. Just say yes. You just yeah. Yes. All right, your guy of the week, Miguel Indurain. You remember Miguel Indurain, Jason? <laughs> of course. How could I not? Big Mig. Yeah, the great Tour de France champion of Spain. Uh, how many times did he win the Tour de France? Uh, I believe he won five of them, which is the record that Armstrong beat and is now uh, evaporated. Did uh, was he uh, doing this? Just like eighties, eighties, right. yeah. Did did Indurain, Did he use roids? I assume they all just use roids, right? Uh, I don't know what's been confirmed about his uh, 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 use, but um, you know, certainly a very. Um, gray period in the history of the sport. I believe uh, this year's Tour de France had another motor doping scandal, and those are my favorite. Those are great. Because the stuff where it's like, these guys are just like, yeah, I like put three times as much blood into my body as supposed to be there. Like that stuff, I'm like, I'm not comfortable with the Cronenbergian like arc of the, the actual cheating. And then also it's gross. Whereas like sneaking a little motor into your bike like that. I, think well, I watched too many A-team episodes uh, as a kid to like not be into that. Right. Well, uh, motor doping has been around for a while, but now that everybody's kind of had the experience of riding an e-bike, they kind of know how cool this technology is <laughs> yeah. and how like, you know, what an incredible advantage it would be were it, you know, given to a performance bike rider. But there wasn't. I don't think there was an actual like controversy. I mean, they do. They still do the X-ray scans of all the bikes of all the um, the athletes at the Tour de France. But I don't think anybody got caught this year. There were, you know, they do these routine scans, and I know they made a big point of saying that they had uh, scanned Tade's bike and that he had, you know, he was clear. I just want a guy like to like hide like little nitroglycerin boosters like in a backpack like on his back and he just like well the thing that i like about it it had sort of this like video game component to it which is that you know they they stick them in the bottom brackets of these bikes and you know the kind of e-bike that you would use to cheat would be different of course than like a big city bike e-bike with a giant like battery (laughs) on the front like the kind of thing that you would use to deliver like sweet green (laughs) yeah (laughs) they're, they're obscured 
um, and, and also have a limited battery life. And so it was just basically this like power pack that you could use at the most advantageous opportunity, but it was limited. Like you couldn't do it the whole race. You didn't ride the whole time with the battery pack on. You would just be like, okay, now, boop. And there would be like a hidden button somewhere under the handlebars that would allow you to, you get like some sort of, you know, benefit, whether it's, you know, 5%, 15%, but in, you know, elite bike racing, that's more than enough to, to pull away. I like uh, like an oil slick button, like I'm playing Spy Hunter. Like, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say like, or like like throw like a box of tax behind me. This is no. the way you get uh, casuals into the sport: is you uh, legalize pranks. You know, but there is that kind of vibe that's happening in the sport. That like I think that the the structure of road racing, as they call it, uh, has believes that the sort of traditional sport is getting a little too traditional, and that they're losing young eyeballs. And so they're trying these like gimmicks of like having them ride across like treacherous terrain and like sand and dirt, and do these uphill time trials that are crazy looking. And the riders are kind of like please stop, like stop yeah. doing this, put us back on quiet pastoral roads. That That's is kind of shitty too, because it's, it's already such just inherently such a sadistic yeah. sport. And then the idea of being like, people love it when you guys cry and get hurt. So we were thinking about emphasizing that, like that sort of sucks actually. Just a, a sidebar on that point. I mean, like cyclists go bananas when crashes are advertised to sell the Tour de France. So you see some of the advertising for the Tour de France that are like, watch the Tour de France Sunday. And it's like these guys going off the side of like mountain passes. <laughs> Falling off a mountain. And you're like, yeah. it's not like when the Mountain Dew car just gently hits the barrier and crumples. I mean, that's a life that's going off the side yeah. of the, this right. Alpine pass. Um, so, but it's undeniably, you know, part of what people are interested in. You saw the biggest thing that happened in the Tour de France this year from a just mass consumption thing was that stage one crazy Ale crash. Opiomi. Ale Opiomi. Ale Opiomi. I was going to say, what, what if someone had paid, what if a writer had paid the lady to do that? Now, that is a new frontier in subterfuge. <laughs> right. But, but I would say, um, uh, and I think Radford wrote about a lot of this stuff, but like I, I, I would say that like I was on the Drew uh, parade there where I was like, this is not the craziest crash that's happened in the history of sports. It's not even in the top 2000. I mean, this was a big thing that people caught and like the sign part of it, the selfie part of it was sort of like the statement about like narcissism and the fact that it had been captured perfectly on video, but it was by no means the craziest thing that happens in that sport at all. Yeah. Hey, would you like to play dead or canceled, Jason? <laughs> I was going to mention that sometimes there's cows on the course, but yes, let's do dead or canceled. Yeah, llamas too. They had a stage uh, rerouted because of llamas a few years ago. Oh, that Fantastic. sounds bad. No, ugh, podcast is over. I'm pulling. There's no way that we can continue doing this under these circumstances. I, I, I disagree. I thought it was a funny joke. I mean, you know, you got. I don't even know if llamas buy. I don't even I think don't, they yeah. buy. You know what? I don't. I don't know what noise llamas make. I'm just that's they're you, woolly. You must grant him they the spit. dad's privilege on this one. Anyway, dead or canceled? You have to tell me whether this person is dead or canceled. You ready, Jason? Ready. Stanley Kubrick is he dead or canceled? Dead. He is dead. He died, I believe, in 1999 after the filming of Eyes Wide Shut. He yeah. died. He was a demanding director, but I don't think he did anything gruesome or cancelable apart from making actors do 400 takes. Yeah, I know why them. you're bringing this up, because Drew is on a Kubrick tear. I am. He watched, watched Barry Lyndon and then The Killing, uh -huh. the longest and then the shortest. Barry Lyndon was fucking great. 
Yeah. Fucking great movie. I was like, I'm still thinking about it. I have definitely not seen that movie. And is it actually compelling? It feels like it's just like a bunch of like poncy people floating around on boats for a while. (laughs) Yeah, but like, like he knows that, right? Okay. So like he, he knows like how ludicrous these people are, which is what's cool about it. Like, like it's very painterly and it gets really, really serious at the end. But also there are moments where Ryan O'Neill looks utterly fucking ridiculous, but it kind of works somehow. I don't know why or how. Because these are people who think very highly of themselves. And so they, they, they dress themselves up in pomp. And he, like, he shows that hubris. And I, that's what I like about the movie. Uh, you want to do the fun bag, Jason, now that we have a dead spot? <laughs> no, I, can, I just can't follow up on Barry Lyndon. And Jason opted out. No, you, well, I, the thing I was going to say about Kubrick was I, I just, you know, as somebody who didn't watch any of those movies until I was well into adulthood, I felt like, or maybe I saw Full Metal Jacket when I was a teenager. And that was a great movie. time to see it. Really apprehend <laughs> yes, all exactly. of the complicated points. Your most impressionable part of your life, you should yeah. watch the most. Oh, it's, a, it's a fantastic teenager movie. The first 40 uh, minutes, forget it. I watched yeah. it. I memorized it when I was a teenager. But there's so much of this, like, what do they call it? Autor theory around Kubrick. And, like, I had this notion of him as being this, like, very, like, um, pretentious filmmaker. And, and then you would see an interview with him and you'd hear this, like, Bronx accent. Like, he was yeah. just, like, you know, a guy from New York who had this extraordinary, like, upbringing and 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 uh you know transition into filmmaking uh but he was not at all what i had imagined yeah and he wanted his movies to be popular like he liked he wanted people to see his movies he went out of his way to make them interesting and like barry Lyndon, because it's a period drama it has that sort of expectation of well this is gonna be boring and just you know Ooh, we're not in the class. I love him, but I can't say so. Bullshit. Have either one of you ever written one of those stories that I've seen with regard to Eyes Wide Shut here and there, but like one of those people that's like, I'm going to write 14,000 words about why you're all wrong about this movie. And like, it just feels like that is a reliably popular film writing genre. Oh, yeah. People love to revise film history. Like, yeah. I haven't done that much of it because I think the only movies that I would feel comfortable writing about are either like movies that basically only I have ever seen or movies that only I care about. Like, the only real movie essay I would say is anywhere on my docket is like Exorcist 3 Legion Reconsidered. Because, like, I really just think it's great. Right. But it's like, yeah, no one's going to argue with me about it because, like, really the only person that's ever gone on the record with having seen Exorcist 3, sadly, is uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Roth, you did. Watched uh, it over and over again. You did write one, Roth. You you wrote, like, why everything you believe about Starship Troopers is wrong. That's I, I did. I wrote two. But it was movies. very good. I, I did, yeah, Starship Troopers and, and um, Safe, both of which I just think are great. So it was easy to – that was good. Like, I haven't had to, like, correct anybody and be like, actually, Safe is stupid and bad, and Julianne Moore is not a good actress. <laughs> like, that would be way harder, I think. Uh, this is from Ethan, Jason. He writes in, is it ever ethical to unplug another person's phone and use their charger to charge yours without asking? If yes, does your relationship with the person and percentage of each other's phones charged come into account? And if yes to that, what percentages in relationship give you all – give you the all clear what are the what's the etiquette around it, unplugging another person's phone jason is he asking whether it's okay to like do this like strangers and like an airport lounge or is it like with your family 
Yeah, both. well, see that that is what he he is asking for those. Okay, uh, those points. I would say family. All bets are off. Anybody who's um, a child can have everything pulled from them immediately. Like that is like, <laughs> I like no question I like about it. That with a spouse, I think over fifty percent you can pull the plug. On wow, fifty only fifty. Over, uh, fifty, yeah, fifty is pretty solid these days. It'll get you more than a few hours. Uh, strangers, that's just the. I, I, I'm not ready to go there. I mean, even if you like were looking and you were desperate and like you had to make an important phone call to renew your passport or something like that, and you saw that they were at, you know, 80%. I don't know if I could do that. I think well, you'd get shot if you did. Yeah, I wouldn't touch a stranger's phone for any amount of money or any reason. No. I think like that's just, although it's weird. Again, like I haven't been in that situation in a minute because I know that there's a lot of like, that like super kind of like debasing airport phone charging where like the only the outlets that there are, are on like long hallways with like those beeping carts going past with one elderly person on the back. And you have to like sit on your ass next to that plug, like jealously guarding it. Yeah. That's not. Yeah. yeah. That, that the airports have gotten better at it. Plus also like the technology is better. The chargers are better. Like we've switched over entirely as a family to USB-C. So now when someone gives us a traditional like USB-C charger, it's, I mean, USB charger, it's like someone like hand charging your phone. You're like, ugh. <laughs> With like a crank. Like, <laughs> like, like, like they're holding it up to the sun, you know, to, <laughs> um, because it's just such a superior charging technology. So yeah, I, family, yes. Strangers, no, I'm not there. Airport gates have the, uh, sort of the uh, the hotel lounge seating now where there's like, there's a bunch of bar stools and then there's a long counter and there's a charger for each stool. And I like that quite a bit. Okay. Uh, but the other thing is that I think 50 is too low. I think because I have children who are complete sociopaths about unplugging my phone anytime they please. Uh, okay. And also yeah. I am now, I'm now at the age where I freak out more about the phone drain than I do about my gas drain. Like, <laughs> like if the if the phone goes under fifty percent, I'm like, well, that's gonna die in five minutes. Even though it's not, it's gonna take more five more hours. I'm like, I gotta charge it now. And so, if someone took out my shit when it was like fifty five, I'd be like, oh, you fucker. Are you one of those people who gets freaked out because the tech writers are like this? You shouldn't like keep charging your phone like when it's fully charged because you start screwing up the battery that way. I kind of, I kind of believe in that urban legend. I don't even know if it's true or not. I don't not. know if it's true either. Yeah. Like but I do I read I, it. I turn my phone off before I go to bed. Oh. To prevent that. Also, okay. I don't have the phone in the bedroom either, so I'm very Right. I'm right. Very I I read. I read a book. Oh, stuff. wow. That's incredible. You must have been really inspired by Barry Lyndon. <laughs> uh David writes in, a friend and I were discussing how much less intriguing the concept than for the new Space Jam is than the 2018 Uncle Drew film, which we agreed was at least somewhat redeemed by its heedlessly deranged premise. It got us on the subject of other commercial characters that have been able to transcend the brand they were created to represent and become mainstream entertainment figures in their own right. The California Raisins had a couple of billboard hits, the Geico Cavemen had an abortive TV show, etc. So my question is, which commercial mascot had the most crossover success in history. Jason, can you think of one offhand? It's a layup. It's Ted Lasso now. Oh, oh I guess that's true, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, he's not a mascot and he's not like a character. I mean, he is a character. What am I talking about? Um, it's a little different than the California Raisins, but I mean, come on. That's a great success, right? I can actually beat that, but, but oh. I want Roth to answer first. Okay. No, I, well, all right, because I was going to say that one definitely makes the most sense for me. I wish that the California Raisins had gone further because, like, I think that (laughs) 
if they, if it had just gone on a little bit longer and there was like if they had gotten their own Law and Order spinoff for a few seasons or something, and you then wanted like the world were, reimagined, David? Yeah, like I wanted to. I want a cinematic universe built around some like weirdly claymated guys that sing four top songs. It is. It is very weird. Where it was like, how do we sell raisins? Oh yeah. We'll have them all sing like Lou Rawls and they'll the, be made of clay. Like, the 80s were so good, man. Like everybody was just like, I, they were just making up drugs at that point, And like no one like knew that you could eat vegetables yet. So everybody's body was just seconds from death at all times. They're coming up with some great ideas. Also, uh, you watch a commercial from the 80s and it's like a minute long and you cannot believe it. You're like, what is going on here? Talk about Stanley Kubrick. Like this right. is like like 60 seconds of advertising. So- I know that Drew will have something on this too, but I love that with like print ads from that period where there's like 500 words of copy yeah. on the page. And the first one's like, hello, fellow driver. You look like you're interested in reading a long disquisition on why Volvo is the safest car on the market. Like on, a highway, yeah. on a highway billboard, there's yeah. like 800 And now words. it's just, <laughs> just like a picture of a butt and then like a car under it. It's like basically as far as anyone can go. Right. Uh, that'll happen during the Olympics too. Like when they start on Friday, like there'll be a Nike ad that's two minutes long. That's like very, it'll, you know, it'll have really, Somber. really it'll be, it'll have tasteful music and be, it'll cost $5 million. Anyway, the point is, Jason, uh, my answer is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, uh, uh, there how? are there are a lot of things like that that you don't even know began as something as an idea some company had to sell some shit. Was it like a novelty song? Like, how does this fit into that? Uh, I believe that uh, it was conceived by a department store. Hang on a second. Oh, really? Yeah, let's. That I did not know. Welcome to the part of the podcast where I look yeah. something, look something up. up. Everybody drink. That's so. Rudolph is not real, is what you're saying. That's, Rudolph is no, not no, he's not saying real. that. <laughs> That's right. He's real and he's strong and he's my okay. friend. Uh, okay, well, yes. Uh, it was a booklet written by Robert L. May and published uh, by Montgomery Ward. It was a Ro- Montgomery <laughs> Ward uh, sales brochure, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So there it, Was it like advertising nightlights or something? And actually, uh, Santa Claus uh, was conceived uh, by Sears, so that's yeah. uh, important. And Monster Mash was uh, recorded and produced by the Rand Corporation. That's right. And uh, Jesus Christ, uh, Koch Brothers. <laughs> Koch Brothers invented Jesus Christ. I hate to tell people this, but it's, they need to know. They don't want me to say it. They need to know the truth. <laughs> Uh, Paul writes in, Jason, the other day we went to brunch during the NBA playoffs. I told my family not to check their phones and to tell me the score or to tell me the score because I was, quote, taping the game. But the truth is I wasn't taping the game. I was recording the game. Along those lines, coaches still tell the media they won't know what happened in the game until they've looked at the film. Pretty sure there aren't any NFL teams left using a film projector with little reels of film. They're looking at recordings on laptops and tablets. So how long until we just say, I'm recording the game, and coaches say they need to watch the recording? Because no one under 25 has ever seen tape or film, and eventually there will be a generation who doesn't even know what those things are. Jason, do you think there will ever be a migration away from those terms? First of all, is this person overseas? Because what NBA playoff game was during brunch time? Like, I don't yeah. understand what's that, happening. I think probably, right? Like, there's not a lot of 1 p.m. tips. Maybe maybe it was a West Coaster and it was a 1 p.m. tip Eastern or something like that. Um, uh, did he say NBA playoffs, though? NBA playoffs. He didn't say the NBA finals. Oh, okay. All right. Well, um, that's Eastern that... Conference <laughs> day game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that all sounds fine with Watching me. I'm okay with the terminology the change. I think it's, like, fine to be, like, you know... Not so pedantic about that kind of thing, but if you know we want to police it, fine. I just don't think I don't think it will change just because it's. I just think it's like, you know, there are 
there are terms in the popular vernacular that date back hundreds of years that are outdated. Like, you know, fucking, like, there's like Shakespeare shit and stuff. Like, you know, like nobody, nobody looks a gift horse in the mouth anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like those, that's just an expression and they just stay in the vernacular because they're used so often. And I think that this is one of those things that may stay that way. Because I say you think video. That, that, was, that, that was a common thing that people were constantly receiving horses as gifts and being like, let me, uh, let me see those teeth. Well, do actually, ever, Roth, I think they did. And I think they got them from Montgomery Ward. Do you, <laughs> do you ever do that sports writer thing where like, you're like, oh, I'm going to write about this play. I'm going to break it into granular detail. And I'm going to take the, you know, DVR copy. And I'm going to go back and forth and back and forth and break <laughs> it down. I did, I, 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 yeah, exactly. I did it the other day with the Giannis block shot, you know, because I wanted to see it like in sort of like piece by piece detail. And I'm like, wow, I am really like analyzing this and looking into it. Like, <laughs> look, his like right foot is on the free throw line and he turns his body in the air. And I spent a solid two minutes looking at this and you're like, Congratulations, you've just done what like five interns have to do all day at every yeah. franchise on earth. That's what, you know, it's, it's nothing terribly sophisticated. I rarely, if ever, do it. And usually when I do it, it's like, it's not some great play. It's like some, it's like some guy broke his leg or he, his I, dick fell out of his pants while he was running the this, ball. Yeah, like Drew's going back and forth on the Lenny Kravitz penis mishap during a, a concert. Thou- it's a like, thousand percent that. Enhance. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, the only times I've ever had to do it is like Sunday shift stuff, and it's always like a very badly botched punt. And I'm like going back and trying to like yeah. figure out where it all went wrong. It's much more fun to do when it was a mistake. Uh, that was a fantastic podcast. You were so much fun to have on, Jason Gay. Will you come on again? Of course. I appreciate it. I love you both, Drew. I'm so happy that you managed to survive American Ninja Warrior, and uh, I look forward to your return to the course. It's the, uh, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to survive through. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know that not to be true, but uh, still a great line. Uh, yep. Brandon Nix, our producer and engineer. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to Roth and me and Jason Gay now. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And go subscribe to Defector.com too while you're at it. And also, please go read Jason at the Wall Street Journal because he's fantastic. And that sports section is the best newspaper sports section in the country. And it's not particularly close as far as I'm concerned. So please, uh, go check them out. Also, I'm going to let the podcast audience in on a little secret, which is that Why Your Team Sucks begins next Thursday. I believe that's the 29th. Well, I think I have that right. I might have that date wrong. Anyway, the point is, if you want to get in on the action because the window for submissions closes fast, WYTS at Defector.com. Put WYTS and your team in the subject line. Let me know why your team sucks. Not some other team. Not a team you don't like. It has to be your fucking team. Otherwise, I'm going to come and I'm going to kick you. All right, You're that's not, it. If you don't care about the Bengals, don't talk about the Bengals. You know what? Yeah, because you wouldn't understand the Bengals. Stay the yeah. fuck out of the Bengals. What there anniversary is. is this for that, by the way? I like have that. no idea. <laughs> yeah. It's too long. Long older than 10 years, right? It's, yeah. it's older than 10 years. It's too long. I know that it's been... Older than it in, we measure it in terms of ownership groups, and I don't even know how many that would be. You know how old it is, Jason? It's so old that I own the trademark to it now. That's how it <laughs> I filed a goddamn trademark. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. 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 Bye.